Hello and happy Wednesday. I uh, hope you're having a great week. I know mine's going well. It's seemed like it started off slow, but here I am middle of the week and I don't know how I got here. Uh, I just, I've been, for whatever reason, the time has gone by really fast and I can't keep track of what day it is. Hilarious, isn't it? Well, you'll see I'm, I'm solo again. Uh, Angie is still on jury duty. That is still going, and so uh, hopefully that will conclude soon, and uh, we can we can have her back with us next week. Uh, she is going to be teaching again this Sunday, and so uh, once we get that up on podcast, we will we'll get a notification out on on social media. Uh, so yeah, uh, this last week she started into Acts three, and we went through the first 11 verses of, of Acts 3, and it was really good. If you haven't listened to that yet, go back and do that. Um, it, it's 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 very beneficial. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of my notes at the end of today. But it's good to go back and 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 listen to these things, because each one of us is going to be able to, to extract something different in the gifts that God has given us and and, and just the, the providential preparation of, of things that God has brought us through in our lives. We're all going to be uh, latching on to something different when we, we listen to teachings. And it's going to going to evoke a different response in us. And, and the, the way that comes out is, is different. And so I, I really recommend go back and listen to Sunday if you haven't already. Hello, Anne-Marie. It's good to, uh, good to see you on. Um, my phone is going crazy today. Sorry. Um, so yeah, we started in, in Acts 3. We've gone through the first 11 verses and I want to read those as we get going. And and we're just going to kind of talk through it. And I, I have a bit of a point to make at the end. Um, and so we'll get to that. So let's read the first uh, 11 verses of Acts 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This is uh, this is a, a, an interesting section of scripture here. Uh, Acts three through five really is 
its main theme is the the witness of the first Christians and and them sharing the gospel with people and seeing absolutely exponential growth of the church. And that brought them into direct conflict with the Jewish leaders. Uh, there is, it's just set up for that. And in the Jewish leaders, they really are trying to put a stop to the preaching of the disciples. And, and we know it's, it's a fruitless effort because nothing is going to deter them. Uh, not even death, as we'll see as we go, continue to go through Acts. Um, even in the, in the face of, of being killed, they still continue to share the gospel. And so their, their efforts to stop it are absolutely fruitless. So what we see here in these uh, uh, first 11 verses of, of chapter 3 is that the, they're going to the temple to pray. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. And there is a prayer at the temple three times a day. There's a morning prayer, an afternoon prayer and uh, prayer again at at sundown and so this is this is something they're still going to do and what we got to understand is they are not going to the temple to attend a church like what we do today where we think of churches as a time and place they were we know that they were the apostles were out teaching the people they were meeting in homes this was taking place all over the city Uh, but that is what they would call church, where they're they're learning from teaching. When they're going to the temple out here, this is a place where they're meeting the people that need to hear the gospel. This is uh, going out and evangelizing. This is this is sharing. Yeah, sure. I'm there. There is some uh, an element of teaching that is going on because, uh, as we see in Peter's various sermons. There are, are links that are being made to help the Jewish community understand who Jesus was, who he, who he is now, and, and what he came to do, and how uh, a scripture that they know was fulfilled in him. So there's, there's an evangelism that's going on at, at the temple. This is where the people are at that need to hear this message. And, and if we think of churches as a time and place then we, we miss that aspect of it as well. And, and so we, we start to see that the oneness we share with other believers is, is a continuous thing that's going on uh, throughout our days where, where we're having conversations, where we're listening to teachings, we're sharing teachings, sharing different revelation with one another. But as we go out, we are, are then prepared for ministry. It's, it's not a surprise when an opportunity pops up to us to minister to somebody in whatever that is that that Holy Spirit directs us into ministry. It's, it shouldn't come as a surprise. It should be an expectation of ours for these opportunities to be presented as we are are going about our days. And so uh, going to the temple to pray, this is where they're going out to evangelize. And so they run into this man who is who is brought to the gate of the temple every day, sat down there to beg for money. And, and we know that over time, the, these beggars, they're going to, to get a sense of who it is they can ask because they can start to spot people who are, are going to be generous. And 
And they're, they're able to just have a sense of this. And so, you know, he has an expectation to receive something from Peter and John. And so he asks them. He can see that they are, are generous people. He doesn't understand how, what form their, their generosity is going to, to take, but he can see that. And so when he does, you know, he's, he's probably asking them, but then he's probably looking down at the line of people coming up towards the gate for the next person to ask. He sees and recognizes Peter and John. Okay, they, these look like generous people. I'm going to put an ask out to them. So he asked, but now he's looking for the next one. And so there is, is Peter who says, look at us. Right? He, he recognizes the opportunity in the man's ask to, to offer him something. And so uh, he he does that. He wants to, to really gain and maintain this guy's attention. So he, he says, look at us. There's a, there's a demand put there. Look at us. I have something for you, but I need you to focus your attention on me and not on the next person you're going to ask for money to, because we're about to put an end to all of that, to that need to rely on the generosity of others for, for your, your basic needs. And so he needed this, this man's undivided attention. It was absolutely necessary to get his undivided attention. And, and I, I, I wonder about this as when Peter said, look at us, what was running through the mind of this man uh, sitting there? What, what was he thinking at this moment? Oh, if he wants me to look at him, there must be something really coming that is, is going to impact me in a significant way. He probably thinking a, a big, big sum of money was coming, but guess what? Surprise, no money. Peter claims I don't have any gold or silver, right? But what he does have is life. He has life to share with this man. And it is it's an interesting fact that he doesn't want to to offer him silver and gold because that leaves him in the state that he's in right there. That's going to run out. But if he, he offers him something greater, if he offers him life, he's offering him Jesus Christ of Nazareth, then then there is something that is eternal for him that isn't going to run out. And, and so there, there has to be a, a, an attention that is, is gained and maintained through look at us. And then the revelation that I don't have any money for you, but what I do have is something greater. There is, there is an eternity that's waiting for you. That's full of abundant life. And that abundant life is found in the name of Jesus. And so he, he grabs him by the right hand and pulls him up and, and immediately there is life brought into what, where it is. It says his ankles and feet became immediately healed. There was life brought into him right there. And I, and I wonder why this is just in my mind. I, I see this detail if he grabs him by the right hand and I wonder why that detail of the right hand, why didn't just say grabs him by the hand and pulls it up? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, but some of the, the odd questions that pop into my head as I read these things. 
but I, I was thinking about that and there's, there's an incident where, uh, the, the attendant at, uh, the synagogue or temple, I can't remember. I think his name is Jarius in Luke eight, uh, verse 54, uh, it says, but taking her by the hand, he called, uh, saying child arise. So Jesus taking the child by the hand and bringing her back to life. Uh, just another incident of, of, of this happening where there is a taking of the hand and, and pulling them up. This is, this is ministry at, at what I believe is its most base level of, of being prompted by Holy Spirit to see the need in somebody and offering them so much more than what it is that's, that it is maybe being asked for or even expected within their minds. There's more. There's, there is an abundant life that is offered that we have to give to them. And so, uh, something else that we need to, to understand about the exuberance of this man and, and how he was clinging to Peter and John as they went into the temple. This man is dropped off at the gate to the temple every day. He's not brought in. Uh, and from what I could find, there was no exclusion on disabled people being brought in for worship. But we know that um, in the priesthood in the Old Testament, that you, there was no deformities that uh, a person couldn't have deformities and, and be brought in to, to minister. And, and so he's excluded from from worship. He's left at the gate. He might be able to hear what's going on faintly, and he may not be. And it's, it is an interesting thing that his exuberance is, is not just about the healing, but it's about his, his now inclusion into the worship that's going on. He's going to be able to be one who's in there, a part of this. And now he's going to actually have a testimony to share with everyone about what Jesus did for him. So his, his exclusion or excuse me, his, his exuberance that's shown this leaping, this, this, uh, uh, joyful praising that's going on, this praising of God that is taking place through him now is, is far more meaningful to him on the surface uh, of just the healing. There is, there is a deep healing of, of belonging that's going on inside of him as well. And so I thought that was really interesting, you know, to, to think about the fact that he's just laid at the gate to the temple every day. But now he gets to walk through that gate himself and be included in the worship. And it says the people were feel, filled with wonder and uh, amazement. Uh, of course they were. Uh, of course. You know, this... This this shouldn't be any surprise because if this man had been this way for uh, however many uh, decades he's been disabled from birth, then there would be wonder and amazement because he's never walked before, and now immediately he's up, he's leaping. There's there is joyful praise going on through through his movement, not not just his words, but through his movement as well. And so uh, that, that brings them into the temple. And, you know, we see throughout these different miracles, Peter is using one of the same uh, methods of ministry as Jesus. Um, 
there is a miracle that takes place and then a, a, a teaching, something that follows that up, a connection with the kingdom that, that Jesus does. And, and Peter does the same thing. You know, we know Peter quotes Joel back in Acts 2, uh, show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. Well, he demonstrates this by the healing of, of this beggar, of this, this man who jokingly through our Sunday school Sunday morning got named Walter. Uh, so anyways, um, every time I refer to him, this, this, this is what's running through my head is this guy's named Walter. Um, uh, anyways, it was just a, a joke, uh, uh, that somebody had, had made Sunday morning. Anyways, uh, th- this signs on the earth below is demonstrated here through this healing. And, Peter then then makes a, a bold claim about the authority of Jesus. You, you know, using the name of someone in that culture, he, he tells him, "Rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth." This is all of their preaching, all of of the things, uh, the the signs and wonders happening around him, uh, and, and all of the apostles. This is all taking place and being done in the name of Jesus. This is. A use of his name, which was uh, important in the culture, you could use someone name, someone's name, and that uh, authority that they carried would would be like the same thing. The same authority would be in your words when when using someone's name in, in this culture, and. It's kind of hard for me to to explain, but um, that's the basic gist of it. This is why there was so much emphasis on stopping them preaching and doing what it is they were doing in the name of Jesus, because the the Jewish uh, uh, elite, the these the, these uh, people who ran the Jewish religion, the high priests, uh, all of the Sanhedrin, they were they didn't want these men preaching in the name of Jesus to and associating him as the Messiah because they didn't believe him to be the Messiah because they didn't think that the Messiah would be killed. They didn't understand or didn't want to see and look at uh, across the entire Old Testament to put uh, um, all the pieces together of the messianic profile and be able to understand what it is that Jesus came to do, to be able to understand what the Messiah would endure and why there, there, there is, you can't just point to one place. There is, there is a whole host of areas throughout the old Testament that points to this messianic profile and what was going to take place. And so the apostles uh, preaching and healing in the name of Jesus was a big deal. This was a, a big thing in that culture. And so this is something that when we see this, in scripture, in the New Testament, we need to understand what's taking place. This is, this is a cultural thing that says, in the name of Jesus, I'm doing this. And that carries with it an authority. And, and the Jewish elite here did not want that to happen. They didn't want that to continue. And so this is, this is a bold claim by Peter again, uh, to, to do this in the name of Jesus. And and he's going to talk about this in his sermon that follows, which um, we'll see coming up. So this this is 
uh, uh, parallel to Jesus's ministry, Peter offers uh, liberating power of, of God to those in need of freedom. That is is one of the big things here. This this liberating power of God it reaches into uh, the darkness and and corruption to offer freedom to people to those that ha- have been less than whole because of sin. This is and not to say that this beggar was like that uh, uh, because of sin, but there was a need there, and and the physical healing, the the, the manifestation of that miraculous healing was not just in him being able to walk. There was something else inside of him that was changed. There, there was there was a complete newness within him. He now gets to to partake in things that before he didn't. And so I, I think we need to understand that there is there is a, a need in in this freedom to be made whole. And all the people heard and saw this man, they recognized him and and they wanted to know what happened. So they they start to to gather him. And and so Peter is is going to tell them. And this sets up a confrontation. And this is where we're going to continue to get into over the next few weeks. We're going to get into seeing the the witness of of the believers in Jerusalem grow. And, and and this this starts to spread out, and this is this is a theme, pretty much throughout the entire book. There is uh, ministry taking place in confrontation with uh, authority, earthly authority that that happens on the backside of that, and so we see it over and over and over again. Uh, and so that's what's coming up. Um, there was something as I was going through this, I came across a story that really. Uh, was interesting and it was it was titled taking off the dunce cap and um i've never really wondered where the term dunce cap came from but it actually just it, it comes right out of church history apparently there's a man by the name of john duns scotus and he was a theologian who uh entered the the franciscan order uh, at a young age, he was 15 years old, and this was in the year 1291, so some time ago. Uh, his his theology was very intricate and uh, took a lot of terms, and so that led uh, Roman Catholics to, uh, they gave him the title of Subtle Doctor. And, and I think that was meant to be some kind of dig at him, but anyways, that's what came out of it. And so... Uh, following that, uh, there were some Protestant reformers. They, they picked up on, on the idea and, and really calling anyone who had some obscure idea, they would call them a duns, D-U-N-S, uh, after this, this guy's name. And, uh, eventually the word dunce came out of that. And so there, there is a story that says that, um, this man, Scotus and the Pope were, were having a conversation. They were walking through the Vatican gold chambers. And, and the story goes that the Pope turned to him and said, uh, Dr. Scotus, no longer can the church say silver and gold. I have none. Uh, to which Scotus replied, uh, and no longer can it say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. 
And whether this story is true or not, um, it, it really applies to, to our day as well. Uh, just as much as it did in, in that, that time in the 1200s, uh, we build gigantic buildings worth millions of dollars. Uh, and we put on really lavish programs, uh, to, to call attention to ourselves, um, hoping people will come to a certain place at a certain time to hear a certain person proclaim a message that is said to be important. Uh, again, this is that idea of church being at a certain place at a certain time. And then there's one particular person who is, who is going to be speaking. And then, then there's a variety of gifts. There should be a variety of people speaking. When we think about capturing God in a building with, with some kind of special group or club as, as you can now look at, at church, um, it, it seems like wearing the dunce cap, uh, proclaiming a message that nobody wants and, and nobody is putting into action. This is where we get those messages that just kind of tickle people's ears and, and want to make people feel good. That, that's all this is. That's all it's doing uh, when we, we do this. This is a message that, that nobody wants and nobody's taking action on. They don't want to hear the difficult things that need to be said. And so this chapter calls us to, to be ready for spontaneous ministry. And, and spontaneous shouldn't be a surprise to us. We, we should be looking for those, those blind beggars in our path and, and to trust God to, to give us the wisdom and the power to do something uh, about every, every ministry opportunity that is presented to us. Peter's example also reminds us to, to avoid intricate meandering um, of, of any type of theological wisdom or, or, or knowledge, um, which was, was typical of, of this subtle doctor that, that we just looked at, at John Dunn Scotus. So rather he shows us to drive home the point of salvation through the name of Jesus and, and forgiveness through uh, repentance because of the resurrection. Um, I, I know at times though, we feel inadequate and, and ill-prepared to, to respond in the way that Peter and John did. Uh, we, we shouldn't forget though, that they had their own struggles. And, and we can see that when we read the first four books of the new Testament, when we read the gospels, we can see the struggles that they had. We can't forget how ordinary they were, uh, and how at times they seemed incompetent. Uh, we can't forget how ill-fitted for tasks uh, they were that Jesus sent them to do. It didn't stop him from sending them though. But, you know, eventually they, they got a glimpse of resurrection power. They got filled by God with his spirit 
excuse me, and and the interesting and and significant thing for us to remember is that's the same for us. We get to get a glimpse of resurrection power. We are filled as believers with God's spirit. And we need to completely be dependent upon him. They encountered situation after situation, which we will read about in Acts, with total trust that God's sovereign grace would produce whatever he wished in their lives. You know, and we could be left with the question, uh, is it possible that we try too hard? Of course, you know, uh, careful preparation for for sharing the gospel, for preaching and teaching. It's important, but it can never replace dependence uh, upon God for for the words that we speak. So we need to know the scriptures so well, and we need to trust God uh, so completely that we are never surprised by ministry opportunity. It shouldn't be a surprise. When, when I look back at what Angie taught on Sunday, there were some key takeaways for me. And, and the first one of those being as she, she talked about this man when, when the beggar was healed, his occupation changed. His occupation became praise. And, and I think that is something that, that we need to look at in our own lives. We need to, to look at our, our own, uh, idea of occupation in, in what it means as, as a citizen of the kingdom, as a son of God. What is our occupation look like? Yeah, there are those things we, we do to, um, to pay the bills. And, but is that truly our occupation? Is that truly what we're called to do? And, and, a, and a, a, an aspect, a facet of that occupation should be praise. Because so much has been done for us to be healed, just like this baker. There is, there is a wholeness that, that is, is brought to us when we believe. And so I, I think we need to, to really look at that. And the second was there was, there was a value offered beyond what was seen. And if we are prepared for ministry opportunities at all times, we understand the value that we carry as sons of God. Because uh, if we go back to that question we talked about briefly last week, what is it you believe about God being one of the most important things about you? This is this is a value that you're going to carry in to these ministry opportunities. If if I don't believe that God is still healing today, if I don't believe that God's still speaking to people today, that's going to change my pe- preparation and the value that I bring into a ministry opportunity. I mean, it's likely I'm not I'm going to miss a lot of these if I if I believe those things because I'm not going to be in tune to hear Holy Spirit, and, and so it, it's something that we have to understand. And be able to answer that question. What is it we believe about God? We need to be able to understand how to articulate these things. We need to be able to do that. 
because it really is going to to help in, inform what it is that um, we know about the value being offered in these ministry opportunities that, that are presented that aren't going to take us by surprise. And the third one, there's a change that takes place. Uh, again, this the, the, there's a, a visible and an invisible change that took place within this beggar. Obviously, people could see him uh, leaping and, and his, his joyous praise going on on the outside. But what they might not have seen immediately was the change in, in the heart because now he gets to partake of the worship in the temple. He doesn't, he isn't at the mercy of those people, the, the unnamed people that bring him to the gate and set him there every day and then leave him and eventually come back to get him. Now he gets to go on his own. He gets to go inside. He gets to be the one who is generous for others now. This is, this is a change that takes place. There should be a, a transformation within all of us that is put on display because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what he continues to do inside of us. There's a change that takes place. There's a transformation. And we, and we know that scripture talks about that transformation of becoming more and more like Christ. And we should see this evident in the lives of those around us, and they should be able to see it evident in our own lives. And the last of these was, uh, th this leads all, all from, all of this for me leads back to a, a conversation we had a few weeks ago about demand. There is, there is a demand that is is brought when we choose to believe. Uh, I used to think that discipleship as a believer, uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus was was just an option. I believe that you could believe in Jesus and and sit back and just not worry. But I don't I don't have that same thought process anymore. I feel like, and I, and I don't just feel like, I believe that. Uh, there is a demand for discipleship when you believe. But I believe that uh, we have allowed each other to to be pulled off the hook for that, for whatever reason. And and it may just be to to gather people up and, and you know, put butts in seats on a Sunday and and be able to say, look, we're doing church. And and so we've let each other off the hook for discipleship for the the sharpening that takes place with one another. And and I think there's a demand for that. And I think we're seeing that start to, to come back to the forefront. Discipleship needs to be part of our lives. It needs to be something that we are, are absolutely leaning into and, and looking for. And at the same time, we are looking for others to disciple. This isn't just a, a take relationship as the disciple. This is also a give, right? This is, this is something we have freely received. This is something we're freely giving. Just like uh, uh, what Peter said, uh, you know, I, I don't have silver or gold, but what, I, but what I do have, I give to you. You know, rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and walk. Just because somebody doesn't have a physical helmet doesn't mean those words don't apply to their life. Because if they are not 
up and walking as a believer and moving with the kingdom where they're going, there is a healing that needs to take place in them. And they need a connection with Jesus. And and so these are the, the ministry opportunities that are presented to us. And, and we shouldn't be surprised when they come up. We should be prepared. If we're, we're in discipleship relationships, then there is a preparedness that is going on in those. And so there, there is no surprise when it comes to, to ministry opportunities being presented to us. All right. I, th- I think that's it. You know, um, we just need to continually be asking God to help us be ready to serve anytime. We, we need to be asking for a Holy Spirit dependence for, for his, his power, for his words to be presented through us and, and not relying on ourselves. And so take that into your prayer time this week. Lean into, to those, those relationships that you have in oneness and, and figure out who it is that's discipling you. And start to look for opportunities to disciple others. All right. I, I love you all. Have a, a great rest of your week and um, be continuing to to pray for Angie for a, a sound mind and uh, and a swift conclusion to to this trial. All right. Love you all.